0: still and know that he is God. He is in control. He says, fear not for I am with you. We aren't fighting this battle alone. We can fight this battle from a place of worship in victory because the victory has already been made. The battle is won. We declare his name. Your name, your name
1: Fighting every battle. So when we sing this song this morning, let's declare the words. Let's declare the words of the Lord that even when we don't see it and even when we don't feel it, He's still working behind the scenes. He's still working for me, He's working for you. So so lift this song up. are here, moving in us. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. He's here. He's here.
2: God, this morning is a morning of freedom. And we lift anything that we're holding on to at your feet, Lord. We surrender to you. And God, with hands open, we want to receive your grace this morning, God. We want to receive your mercy. We want to receive your goodness, Lord receive your love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
0: I've got a friend, and he's closer than a brother. Oh, for the blood, oh, for the blood we praise the blood that washes us, the blood that covers us, the blood that saves us. And when, before the throne, I stand in Him complete, Jesus died, my soul to save, my life. Still be. Jesus paid all, all to give my own. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed his skin as... That's why we praise. Him. That's why we worship. That's why we sing. That's why we lift His name. Oh, no other name but Jesus. No other name but Jesus. There is no power that can overtake the blood. There is no name above all names other than Jesus. Oh, speak the name of Jesus.
3: Well, good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. Uh, welcome, welcome. If you're online with us, maybe you're on the patio, maybe in the video venue, we're just glad that you are with us today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You should have got something in the mail in the last couple of weeks. It looks like this. This would be our uh, welcome project kind of booklet. Uh, if you didn't get one of these, we want you to leave with one today. And so when you leave today in the lobby, go to the left-hand side and you can grab one. Kind of uh, kind of list out kind of our preferred future and, and and really exciting things that if God would give us favor, the way things could look around this campus in the next couple of years. And so if you would make sure you grab one of these before you leave, that would be absolutely awesome. Our children's ministries and our youth ministries are already beginning their kind of sacrificial emphasis uh, along with the Welcome Project. And then after this series is done on October 30th, November 6th, November 13th, and November 20th, we're going to do a whole series called The Welcome Project where we highlight all the different, uh, you know, pictures of things that could be if God would give us favor, and we want you to be there for that. So mark your calendar, October 30th. That's in two weeks. Uh, November 6th, November 13th, November 20th, do not miss those weeks. Cancel your vacations. We purposely did it right before Thanksgiving, so you don't have to worry about that. And make sure you're here because we're going to talk about some exciting things about what things might look like in the future around here. So lastly, if you have not been able to yet, make sure you check out the, um, the pictures in the lobby of the way things could look if God would give us his favor. And so love for you to let, invite you to that. And then ask you just... Uh, Pastorally, would you begin praying how God might uh, call you to be involved with this project with us? With that being said, let's go right to our message today, and uh, I'm pretty excited. It's going to be fun time together. I want to ask a question: Um, How many of you guys feel like you're paying for like the misfortunes of your parents? Like when you were a kid, you had to pay for their misfortunes. Like they had it hard on them. And so you have to have it hard on you. Uh, you know, like it's a, you know when I was a kid, I, I walked both ways uphill in the snow, that kind of thing. And so therefore you need to walk that. Anybody hear anything like that when they were a kid and like their parents, like I'm paying for your misfortunes, you know, type of thing. I remember when I was a kid, um, I had a mother from South America came, uh, immigrated here to the United States, and, uh, you know, uh, she, you know, she, she would do things like, well, if it was good for us in Colombia, South America, then it should be good for you. I remember when, uh, you know, microwaves came out before I was born, but we still didn't have one when I was like 13, 14 years old. I was like, mom, why can't we get a microwave? And she's like, well, you know, in Columbia, we didn't have microwaves. And so if we didn't have microwaves in Columbia, then you don't have to have one in. I'm like, mom, you also didn't have like washers and dryers. You had like these, you know, stone skillet things that you had to like hand wash and then you had to put it on a clothesline. So, I mean, she goes, yeah, maybe we should go back to that too. Like, everything was like, if I had it bad, then you, you have to have it bad too. You, you, know, you know what I mean? Can you imagine coming home and, and seeing like on a tin, you know, your food, that you have to preheat the oven and wait 20 minutes to get, that's always my childhood. And when we could just press, you know, you know, four buttons and have it in two minutes. You know, but she was scared that like the radio waves would cause cancer or whatever. And if it did, then all of us would be dead because all of us have been using microwaves for like 25 years. Hey, anyway, mom, can, can we please? And it was all these times, these situations, I remember when I was 16 years old, I was like, mom, I'm a good kid. I should be able to have, like, you know, a driver's license when I'm 16, and I deserve to have that. And I was a good kid. I didn't get involved in drugs and, like, alcohol and gangs, all the stuff that kids were getting involved with in the area that I grew up. And I was a good kid, Mom. So can, can I please have my license when I'm 16 years old? I can have a car. I deserve this, Mom. I deserve a car. And then her in her little Spanish accents, she would go, Oh, deserve, deserve David. Don't stop at a car. You deserve a limousine. <laughs> you deserve your own cruise liner. You deserve your airflow. That's how she would handle that, right? And she was like, no, you're gonna wait till you're 18 to drive a car. So I had to wait until I was 18. How many of you know that when you had to deal with that when you as a kid, like you're paying it forward to your kids now? Like you, you're like, I'm gonna pass the baton to you on this one. Like if it was good enough for this Hurtado, it's good enough for all the Hurtados. Everybody's waiting till 18 to drive a car. Ain't no business driving a car when you're 16. Anybody do that? Or Am I like the only wretched dad who does that kind of stuff? <laughs> it's like if it was good enough for me, you have to wait. Got to pass that baton. Got to pay it forward. I have a daughter right now who is my youngest. is 11 years old. Somehow she got along the way. She feels like it's a right to have a phone. Like it's like you know, it's like, a, like it's written in the Constitution or something. She should have her own cell phone. And, and I'm like, who are you? She's like, well, you know, and 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 uh, so she's like, you know, I, I like my phone. And she's actually gotten pretty innovative in how she's arguing for this. I'm Actually, kind of impressed. She goes, Dad. Everybody in my class has a phone. Everybody. I go, everybody? Everybody has a phone. There's like 30 kids in your class. You're saying there's 29 phones in that classroom. Yes, Dad, there's 29 phones. I'm the only one who doesn't have a phone. And, and, Dad, they all had their phones in fourth grade. And here I am, and I still don't have a phone. I go, there are like 30 people in your class, and you're saying all of them have phones. She's like, yeah. I go, great. If there's an emergency, ask to borrow one of them. There's like 45 phones in the classroom. Why do you need that many phones? You know? She said, Dad, please, I'm a good kid. I deserve this. (laughs) Deserved? Anyway. (laughs) She goes, Dad, when did you get your first smartphone? When I was 25. Bam, take that. Not to mention they didn't have smartphones before I was 25 years old, but, you know. So you can wait till you're 12, which is six months away, or we can add 13 years. Which one do you want? Oh, I'll take the six months. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, you know. In the Hurtado household, you don't get a phone until you're 12 years old. That's how it works in, in our home. And, uh, and so we're paying it forward, you know. And we make light of this and make, have fun with it. Hopefully you as parents have fun with this too. We pay it forward. We pass a baton in joking way. But how many you know that spiritually speaking, like God— actually expects us to pay some things forward. He expects us to pass the baton. Like there's some spiritual items in the scriptures. God says, I'm expecting you to pass the baton. Some very, very big spiritual ideas connect to this idea that I have a role I must live up to in passing the gospel baton forward. And that's what we're gonna dive into today. Like, like how, how, what is my role in passing this baton forward? Like, what does that require of me internally, and what does it require of me externally? What does passing the gospel baton mean for my spiritual understanding, and what does it mean for those who I have a sphere of influence, you know, those who are in my sphere of influence? What kind of mind should I have? What kind of heart should I have? And that's where we're going to be today, and so I encourage you to open your Bible together. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I just told somebody this morning, I love when I see fat Bibles, people holding their fat Bibles, going to church makes me feel like a better pastor. And so in that sense, if you don't have a bound Bible, we want to give you your first one. Maybe you're visiting, you're checking this whole God thing out. When you leave today, go to the counter there and say, hey, I'm new, and I don't have a Bible, and they will give you your very own leather-bound Bible. It's yours for free. And i will even give you a coupon so you can put your name on it. Uh, so you can go to the, the local Christian store and they'll put their name on for you. And that's our gift to you. Uh, and, I, and again, I know most people today have their phones and everybody has the Bible app. So open that up to Get to your Bible. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. If you're online, open up a new window. It's so important that what I'm saying, you confirm is the word of God. I'm not just giving you false information. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 13 through 21 is where we're going to be today. And the overarching question today... How do we live up to our part in taking the gospel baton and moving it forward? The gospel baton was handed to me. It's my job to hand it over here and to move it forward. What's my part in that? How do we live up to our part in taking the gospel baton and moving it forward? The first thing we're going to see is we need to firm up our understanding of the gospel. We need to firm up our understanding of gospel truth. Like it's the very foundation of what we believe. Do we know it? Could we state it? How much of this do I know? Well, I know I believe it, but, but you know I don't know how to say it. I, we need to firm up that foundation on what that is, and having good a spiritual understanding of it. So we're going to look at that in verses thirteen through fifteen this morning, starting in first or Second Corinthians chapter five says this: For if we are beside ourselves, meaning crazy, it is for God, and if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. If you have another translation, the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this. I want you to watch this carefully. That one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for whose sake? We're gonna be here a long time, folks. For their sake died and was raised. For whose sake? their sake and so he he starts off by basically describing the gospel how do i live up to our part of taking how do i we live our, up to our part of taking the gospel and moving it forward the gospel baton and we are got to firm up our understanding of the gospel uh, form for a understanding of gospel truth. And he, he kind of takes a deep road into what that is in these two verses. He starts off by saying, and if we are crazy, then it was for God. And if we we're in our right mind, then it was for you. What in the world is he talking about? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, if you want to write this down, you can look it up later. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he says, I acknowledge that I'm coming with a message. And some people are gonna think I'm crazy, they're gonna think I'm nuts. Those who are not being wooed by God will just, he's crazy, he's nuts, it's a crazy message. And, and he's saying for those that classification of folks, when I come and I sounded crazy, great, then I was just crazy for God. Just put me in a classification as a crazy person for God. There's another group of people, though, that when I come and I preach the gospel, the Spirit of God is wooing their soul, opening up their heart, so they see the gospel, go, oh yeah, I wow. Yes, this makes sense to me. And they gravitate towards it. And for those people, he says, you know what? Then we were for you. I came with the gospel message either I was doing as a crazy person for God or I was doing to those who are being saved. It is the power of God that's opening their eyes to salvation. So either way, however you want to classify me, I came with this message because I either wanted you to come to Christ or if, if, you, if you're not buying it, they just put me as a crazy person for Jesus. That's my motivation. That was my entire motivation in coming. That's my motive. And then he unpacks or unloads a powerful theological truth. And that is this, that God can provide a substitute. That God can provide a substitute. Um, The doctrine for this would be the substitutionary theory of atonement. We get this in starting in verse 14. For the love of God or the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we have concluded this. This is the the theological point. That one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And if he died for all, and and he died for all, that those who live might not, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake, you could circle that, underline that, highlight that, was raised. For their sake, he was their substitute. God has provided a way for people to be reconciled to God through a substitute. If you ever wondered to yourself, and you can be very honest, and don't raise your hand because people look at you and sneer, but, you know, why did God have to send his son? Like, why did, why did God have to send Jesus? He had to die this crucifixion. Isn't he God? can he just forgive everybody? Why does, like, his son have to die? It's like an honest question. It's a genuine question. Now, I'll be honest. I've had it myself. Like, why, why can't the God of the universe just forgive everybody? Why does this whole story about Jesus' son dying, gruesome death? Why does that have to happen? It's such a good question, and it kind of is pertinent to the idea of what we have here. The answer is this. We go back to the story of Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three. Uh, in your Bibles. you Go read it today if you want. Go back and you'll see. God creates the earth, and he has these two beings. Adam, out of Adam, he creates Eve, and he says, hey, you can have this whole world. It's all yours. You just can't eat of this one fruit of this one tree. Everything else is yours. Every other tree is yours. Every other fruit is yours. You can't eat of that one tree. If you do eat of that one tree, then certainly, then certain death will come upon you. Well, we know the story. They gravitate to the one tree that they're not supposed to have, Satan convinces them that they'll be like God. They want to be like God, and so they eat of the fruit of the tree of the the knowledge of of good and evil. And now there's a difficulty here. God said that if you eat of that tree, you will certainly die. In fact, the enemy says he didn't say you'll certainly die. Of course, that's what he said. And so now there's a point where God, to be true to Himself and true to His word, He's going to have to enact some kind of punishment for that activity. He said it, and therefore it has to be. If he doesn't do what he says, then he's not God. It has to be that way. And so when you ask the question, why does he have to send his son? Somebody has to pay the penalty for the sin. God, For God to be a just God, he has to make amends for this. There is no relationship without punishment. Like the sin has to be provided for. It has to be dealt with. And so Adam and Eve represent all of humanity, so we all get this disease, we inherit it, it's a spiritual disease, we call it the sin nature, so that everybody who walks on earth is condemnable for God. Whoa, pastor, are you saying that everybody is condemnable for God? Like Mother Teresa, you're saying she's condemnable for God? Yes, yes because she received the seed of Adam in her. And as our representative, we are all, all of us start off with this ability and propensity to do wrong. If you've had a child, you know it. I didn't have to teach my kids at two or three years old how to do wrong. They just knew it. They just knew how to do it. You have to train them. Hey, this is how you obey. And this is how you disobey. They just know how to disobey. In fact, my kids learn it from all your kids at church. They know we have this sin propensity. We have this sin nature inside of us. We're condemnable at conception. And then we live it out in our lives. Get to be eight years old and you know, you've already done many things wrong. But if once we've done one thing wrong, we don't deserve God who's all holy and all righteous and above. And yet we've done many things wrong. So how do we climb up that ladder? God says, I'm gonna climb the ladder for you. I'm gonna send my son as a replacement, as a substitute, the substitutionary theory of atonement. He will be the one that will carry your sin for you so you don't have to carry it on yourself. You go, well, you know what? There's there's like big sinners out there and small sinners. I'm not a serial killer. You're right, you're not a serial killer. That's great, good for you. There's different consequences on earth for sin. If I lie, I get one kind of consequences. If I'm a serial killer, I get a different kind of consequence, right? Those are earthly consequences. But don't don't evaluate yourself looking horizontally. You need to evaluate yourself looking vertically. The issue isn't the size of your sin on earth. The issue is that you sinned against the eternal God. That's the issue, and that's why we're all condemnable. God is the one who said the penalty of, of, of sin is death. And if he doesn't fall through with that, then he's a liar and thereby can't be God. Romans 6.23, the penalty of sin is death. Now, I want to talk about, kind of on a side note, have you ever heard the concept when somebody says, well, you know, God is all-powerful, right? Well, yeah, I have to say that. He's all-powerful. Or he wouldn't be God if he's not all-powerful. Well, can God make a rock that he's so big that he can't carry? You ever heard that before? Can God... Make a rock, create a rock that is so big that he can't carry it. It's actually a very innovative way of answering a question. Because either end, whether you say yes or no, you're you're in trouble. I'll show you why. Can God make a rock? If you say no, then he's not all powerful. He can't be God. Can God make a rock too big that he can't carry? If you say yes, then he just created a rock that he can't carry, and therefore he's not all powerful. Whether you say yes or whether you say no, you're, you're stuck with a God who's not all powerful. And so I want to answer the question for you. So you go, man, I don't know what to do. Do I say yes or do I say no? You know, which one is it? Can God create a rock too big for himself to carry? The answer is no. No way. He can't. Well, then you're saying God's not all powerful. No, I'm saying God must be consistent within himself and his own definition. He has to be consistent to his character. He has to be consistent to his word. He cannot be inconsistent. And if he can build a rock that he can't carry, then he's not God anymore. So therefore, the answer is absolutely not. He can only act within his character. Are there limitations to God? Well, apparently there is, because if he could do these things, then he wouldn't be God anymore. He can only do things that allow him to still be God. Now, I said a lot there, and you might want to go back on the video and rehash that, because it's a lot for me. But the point is, God can only be God, and he must be consistent to his definition and who he is. That's why he must follow his word which is back to what we were talking about. If he says the penalty of sin is death and there is no death, then guess what? He's no longer consistent with his word and he's not God. That's why Christ had to die because he has to place the penalty of sin on someone, some way, that allows him to be consistent with himself, consistent with his word, being God, and then finding a way for us. So here you have this God who his whole, his whole plan for reconciliation I can let humanity go to hell, all of them. And I would, by the way, be just and righteous in doing so. He could have done that. He would have been just and righteous in letting everybody go to hell. Or I can do something about it. So how am I going to do something about it? I'm going to send my son, God, very God, man, very man, to live a life that we would never live, a perfect life, and become a substitute so that there is penalty for sin. It is death. I'm being congruent with what I said. And at the same time, I can pass over all these individuals who deserve death on his behalf, and they can have eternity with me. That is the whole concept of the gospel. That I'm going to place sin on my son, he would become sin. Literally all the sin of the world, past, present, future, placed on Christ. And then God would satisfy his wrath on Jesus Christ. It's called propitiation. I'm going to take all the sin of the world, the capacity to put it on his son's shoulders, and then every wrongdoing is be penalized on the cross. That's what happens on the cross. All penalty is on the cross. And then, whoever would like a piece of that forgiveness, it's available to all based on the atoning work of Christ on the cross, based on his blood. He is now convenient. So, go like this David, I know you're past, present, and future. I know everything you've done wrong. Everything has not been congruent with who I, who, who I want you to be past, present, and future. I know it. I can't forget it because I'm all knowing. However, I've passed over it, I've covered it. The blood of Christ. I view you through the lens of Christ so I see you as my perfect child even though I know everything you've done. Dude, that's dope. I know everything you've done and yet I can forgive you for all of it. All the shameful things of your past, whatever it is that you come and go, God doesn't want me, I'm haunted by these things. Done! Taken care of on the cross of Christ. So I can, two things are true. I penalized sin, went to my son, I penalized it. I'm true to my word and I still rescued you and brought you to a place of salvation. There is punishment for sin. There's no relationship without punishment. There has to be punishment for sin. It's just that he gave it to his son instead of us. That is the storyline. That's the gospel message. That's the good news that man need not die. And then Paul says, that's what compels me to tell everybody about it. You don't have to face God on judgment seat day in a way that you're trembling, you can receive a pardon, you can receive forgiveness. Well, the first thing that we can do in the midst of living up to this gospel baton passing endeavor is to firm up our understanding of the gospel, to really understand the tenets of the gospel so we can relay it and talk about it and understand it for ourselves. That's not all we can do. We can do more. How do we live up to our part of taking the gospel baton and moving it forward? Number two, we regard all as spiritual beings in need of that truth. So we firm up our understanding of the truth, and then we regard all as a potential spiritual being who's in need of that truth. Everybody in the room, I don't, just, I'm not going to just be concerned about you physically, but in the spiritual realm in my mind, everybody is a spiritual being in need of that truth. Everybody is a spiritual being in that truth. Let's look at verse 16 through 21. It says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we, we saw him walk on earth physically. We regard him as thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, in Christ, God we, uh, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the mes- message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors, circle that, underline that, highlight that, of Christ. God, making his appeal through us, as it were, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what we were just talking about. How do we live up to our part in taking the gospel baton and moving it forward? Well, we regard nobody on this earth as somebody without a spiritual basis. We regard all as spiritual beings in need of this truth. We regard everybody as a potential believer in Christ. This is the doctrine of regeneration, If you want to write that down, that God woos in your soul, opens up your heart and your soul into acceptance of this idea that Christ came as the God man and died the penalty of your sin. That he can do that and change you from the inside out. He says, I don't regard anybody in human terms. Everybody's a spiritual being. Everybody is a potential future follower of Christ. I view everybody through the spiritual lens rather than the natural lens. We used to view Jesus in the natural lens. He walked with us. We realize now he was divine. And so he's more than that. In the same way, we don't just view people as material, we view them as having souls, spiritual beings who need a savior spiritual beings who can be regenerated in their soul to get a new life and a new nature. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us, takes control so that we can be, it can be said of us that we're partakers of the divine nature. First Peter chapter 1, verse 4, I believe. We're partakers of the divine nature. Or it's chapter 4, verse 1. I think I got them mixed up. I'm not sure. But check it. It's there. We be, why? How are we participants of the divine nature? The Spirit of God's living inside of us Woo's our soul, changes us from the inside out. And that's what he says here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new is come. So I want to wanna give you an idea here. I was living this life over here, opposite of God, had this conversion point with God, with Jesus Christ, where I placed my faith in him. Something transforms in me. The old is passed away, I'm a new creation. Changes me from the inside out. This is why when we hear these stories, like I was doing all these wretched things and all of a sudden I had this Jesus moment and now I'm living a completely different life. How is that even possible? It is possible. Our Bible says it's possible. The spirit of God changes something in the inside and transforms you to a different person. It's actually possible. It happens. It's available to you. You're going, not me. There's no way. God, all these things over here, you mean he can eliminate them and change me from the inside out and make me a different person? Yes, that's the whole thing. That's the whole gospel. Yes, he can do all that. That's what he does. And so when we see it, we go, hey, "Amen, that's awesome." There's a there's a story, another story right there. This person was living over here, boom, Jesus, totally different person. How does that happen? Only God can do it. Only God can do it. You know, t- to that extent, let me just tell you, when I was 14, 15 years old and I was considering placing my faith in Jesus Christ, I thought, there's no way I can't do this. There's no way I'm not gonna be able to live up to it. I mean, I cuss every third word. I grew up in the hood. And so everybody cusses. I don't know how to eliminate cussing. I won't be able to do it. I don't wanna, I don't wanna dive into this thing unless I'm for real. And, and I, at least I wanna be authentic with it. And I had a mentor say, why don't you stop worrying about that? Why don't you just place your faith in Christ and let's see if God does it for you? Okay, well, let's try that. Sure enough, you know what? I couldn't believe it. it. Was like in two weeks, all the the filthy language was just gone. It's like, and I didn't even have to like try. It was just like gone. I just kind of like God did it. Now, now, don't get me wrong. There's, there's every every once in a while, there's a well placed word that's funny, and I think that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I, <laughs> I <laughs> but the point is, God, God can change. Don't let that stop you. I don't think I can live. With, God comes into your body according to scriptures, takes control of your appendages, and changes you from the inside out. It's not on you. It's on what he does through you. Believe that. That's what the word of God says. That's what happens. And so he goes, "Uh, you know, I I, I regard everybody as spiritual beings. Even you, if you're saved, God came in your life and changed you from the inside out. Everybody's a spiritual being, amazing truths, compelling truths. God would provide a substitute and then be the author of the new life as well, not just waiting for you, He transforms you inside of yourself. But Paul doesn't leave us there. He takes us to the next level. And this is so important, because sometimes we get so so like, especially my personality, I just want to sit there and marvel at these theological truths and just take it in. And, whoa, amazing. Cry. Like, just meditate on it. And sometimes you can forget, no, there's something for us to do as well not just look at the word and have our heads puff up with knowledge. But there's a part of this that we're supposed to do as well. Let's go to verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. He says, we become the mouthpiece of God. That's why I'm here. That's what Paul's saying. That's my motivation. I become his ambassador. We need to tell a dying world that they can be reconciled to God. The idea is that God's plan A, plan B, and plan C for this world to be reconciled to him is us. We are God's plan A, B, and C for the world to be reconciled to him. If we stay quiet, then there's no plan. The word implore, can we put that back on the screen? I'm sorry, I didn't see last hour too. That word implore on that last passage. Um, there it is. Uh, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. You know that word implore? It's like a big word. It looks all fancy dancing. You know what it means? The literal idea there? Beg. We beg you on behalf of Jesus Christ. Be reconciled to God. Is there anybody in the room who could, be, who could be said of you that you beg somebody to come to know Christ? I don't know that I could say that about myself. He's saying you can't just sit in stagnation in theology. You've got to have action behind it. Like this message, when it, when it rocks us to the very core, will produce in us a compelling desire to share with other people. That's what he's saying. Now, with all that being said, can somebody help me understand this? Like why is it that I have such a great relationship with my neighbor? Like we're really good friends, we're really close, we have similar values. I mean, we're just, every conversation we hit off, why is it I have such a great relationship with my next door neighbor and yet I haven't once thought to invite him to church? Can somebody answer that question for me? Like, why is it that I I, I have these? And there's other guys who walk by him and we talk about the niners. But all these great conversations, we have great relational chemistry, and now once in my mind, I thought, you know, I should invite them to church. I don't say that to my own credit, by the way. This is why I love putting Pastor Zach on the stage. The guy like takes a vacation. You know, like he earns his vacation. He takes a vacation and goes on a trip with his next door neighbor so he can reach him for Jesus. Who does that? I go on vacations for me. And I'm not telling nobody about Jesus when I'm there. <laughs> this is my time. He goes, kids, we're going on a family vacation. We're going to go reach our neighbors. That's how he uses his vacation. Did you hear him a couple weeks ago? It was like, he was telling this story, he's in the Vons. Uh, it's about when him and his wife were, you know, kids, and they had a baby and whatever, and they're, they're, they're on the conveyor belt, and they're just looking at, the, at the, the amounts go up as they go ding, 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 you know, all the food going up, and they're looking, and they only have $100, and it's getting close to $100, and they're praying, they're praying, they're praying, because at the very end, they're scared. They're going to say, insufficient funds. And I'm like, gosh, it's such a compelling story. Like, you can feel it in, as he's telling about him and his wife and their little baby, and they're not have enough money. And he goes, and you're going to stand before the gates of heaven. You're going to have insufficient funds. In like five seconds, he took that story and went straight to the gospel. It's humbling to me. I'm like, wow, what a gift. He's got an evangelistic gift, unbelievable. I put him on the stage to remind us of that. Because He's gonna, every time, every passage he's gonna get, he's gonna go, I'm just, some way, somebody in the room needs Jesus, I'm gonna tell him about Jesus. You guys, I have this gift where I love to teach, I love theology, I love to saturate, marinated, it, and I just like, a better steak is a steak that was marinated that much longer. I wanna marinate it in the word of God. That's me. The problem with that gifting is sometimes we can forget that there's a dying world going to hell, and we're so saturated in the word that we forgot that somebody needs Jesus. That's why I put him on the stage. Say what you want to say about him, I don't care, but I'm just telling you, I challenge anybody who's being as evangelistic as that guy. It's incredible. It humbles me. We have to have that emphasis because as a teacher, we might get too comfortable. And forget that people need Christ. Well, big ideas on the screen. No matter how biblically centric we get, no matter how Bible centric we get, we must not forget the who. Uh, no matter how Bible-centric we get. And we're going to be Bible-centric, guys. I'm just telling you, we're going to teach the Word verse by verse. I'm going to always assume there's a non-believer in the room where at some point we'll get to, even in this message, how you can get a relationship with God. But I'm going to assume those people are coming, are assuming that they're going to learn something from the Word of God. I don't have to cater the message to them. I'm going to cater the message to believers, teach the Word of God. At the very end, we're always going to have a place and a point where somebody can jump on with us. No matter how Bible-centric we get, which will be varied, we must not forget the lost. We must not. And you guys got to help me with that. Don't let us forget the law it's just because I'm uh, bent towards teaching. We still got to remember that somebody needs to jump on board with us. Somebody was there to be an ambassador for you to know Christ. And now it's our job to be an ambassador. We got to take that baton and we got to pass it. Let me take another step. Christianity is dying in America. Did you hear what I said? Christianity is dying in America. And the reason is because we're going quiet because we're too scared of what people will think of us when we tell them we're Christian. Our job as ambassadors is to take that, pass it forward. No matter how Bible-centric we get, we've got to never forget that there are lost people out there. Well, in that vein, we're going to give everybody an opportunity, if you don't know Christ and how to come to know Christ today. But before we do that, I want to just share a story. Um, The year is 1992, and we're in the Summer Olympics, and we find ourselves in Barcelona, Spain. Like many Summer Olympics, track and field is taking center stage. Many people are amazed at the extraordinary abilities of young men and women from across the world as they show off their skills and abilities on the track. But this Summer Olympics would be remembered for something different, something historic, but not because of broken world records or broken Olympic records. This Summer Olympics would be remembered because of a remarkable story rather than a remarkable athletic feat. It's the men's 400-meter semifinals, a a race that's typically about 45 seconds to complete. Defending gold medalist American Steve Lewis is in lane three with high hopes of representing his country once again and bringing home the the gold once again. About 15 seconds into the race, one of the racers comes up lane, torn hamstring like a runner's nightmare. Can you imagine training all those years, getting to the Olympics, and within 15 seconds of the race, That takes 45 seconds coming up lame with a pulled hamstring. It was Derek Redman in lane five. He was the British record holder, and 15 seconds into the race, he's already out. What happened next brought the entire stadium to a standing ovation, and the irony was the race was long over. American Steve Lewis won the race, having run the race in about 44 seconds, well on his way, one step closer to winning the silver medal in this year's Summer Olympics. But not long after his victory, the crowd begins to cheer, standing up and down and yelling. You see, Derek Redmond attempts to hobble his way to the finish line with a torn hamstring and all. He gets about three fourths of the way around the track when he can't handle it anymore. You can see in the video his anguish on his face, his tears coming down. He's holding the back of his leg. He just can't go any further. So much so that his dad comes out of the stands to help him get to the finish line. You can see his dad if you go back and watch the video. There's other people coming to help him. They'll no, get out of here. Get out of here. This is me, my boy. We're gonna make to that finish line. It may take us another 20 minutes. But we're gonna get there. We're finishing this race. Together, they crossed the finish line to the cheers of the crowd in standing ovation that would become one of the marquee moments of all this 1992 Summer Olympics. You can watch it online. When you go to YouTube today, you can see it. The marquee moments, one of the marquee moments of the Summer Olympics of 1992. And yet technically it came in the midst of a loss. He got last place. But it was a victory and perseverance and resilience. Like a runner in a relay race passing the baton, Father Jim Redmond would not miss an opportunity to pick up the baton from his son and get him across that finish line. And the question before us today is will we do the same for others who need to cross the finish line of faith? Will we help them get there? Or will we just remain quiet? No matter how Bible-centric we get, we must not forget the lost. Now, usually what I do in these messages, if you've been here for a little while, you know, I don't usually give direct application points. I just figure that God will spur in your heart something to do because of what we said, some kind of story connected with you. And I think that happens. A lot of people talk to me about that. But today is just so so challenging. We we just can't leave without it. So I'm gonna put three points of application on the screen. You can take a picture of this. And these are just little challenges of how you can take this message and put it into action. How to put this message into action in my life. Number one go on record with somebody this week that you are a follower of Christ. Americans, Christian Americans, evangelical Americans are all going quiet. You know why? Because we're scared. Society's going left. We're over here trying to live for the Bible. They're not going to like us. My, and my promotion, my, I don't know what could happen, so I'm not telling anybody I'm a Christian. Number one, would you go on record with somebody this week that you are a believer in Jesus Christ in your sphere of influence? You have my word. I don't know if it'll be this week. The next time I see my neighbor, I'm going to be inviting him to church. I'm, I'm going to... Go on record of who I am. Number two, this one is as it relates to this Christmas season. Could you commit to inviting three people or three families to church this Christmas season? They say Christmas and Easter are the best, best times to invite people. They, they, they're, they're thinking that way already. Would you just go on a limb and say, hey, would you like to join me for our Christmas Eve service? We're going to have two of them this year because this year Christmas is on Christmas Day and we're going to cancel services on Sunday and we're going to have two Christmas Eve uh, offerings, two gathering times. Would you go on, go on a limb? Hey, I'm a Christian. I wonder if you wanted to join my family for our Christmas, Christmas celebration at my church. We're having two different Christmas Eve celebrations. Would you come with me? I'd like to sit with you. Three different families. Go on record and invite them to church. Number three and the hardest one. Would you stretch yourself to explain the gospel to someone in detail? You know what you might do? You might sit down with your spouse or a loved one and say, okay, let's pretend like you're somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ and let's pretend like I'm somebody who shares the love of Christ. Let's pretend that I'm somebody who shares the love of Christ. Okay, anyway, and, and, and here I'm going to lead you across the finish line of faith, all right? I'm going to lead you across. Here's what I would say. You ask the questions, and here's what I would say, and let's practice this together. You know, I was just in Dallas, Texas two weeks ago with church planners and their wives, and the whole thing, we sat down with them and just said, you're going to start a church. Do you know how to lead somebody across the line of faith? Unbelievable exercise. Do that. Challenge your kids. All right, I'll be a non-believer. You be a believer. How do you lead me to Jesus? Do I have enough of a firm foundation in the gospel to be able to lead somebody else to faith? That's the third one. It's the hardest one, but I challenge you. Christianity is dying in America, and it's gonna die with us unless we start opening up our mouths. We don't want that to happen. I entitled the message Don't Drop the Baton. Baton has been passed to us. Don't drop it. And I need you guys to help me not let this church drop it either. I'm such a teacher at heart. I love the scriptures I teach we got to remember there's lots of people who need the gospel. In that vein, I don't want to drop it today. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, there's a way for you to take your first step towards Jesus. Everything I described today is available to you. That is that Jesus Christ, God, very God, man, very man, walked on this earth, lived a life that we could never live on our own, a perfect life, and then he died on the cross. It's so important that he lived a perfect life because God's going to say, I'm going to take all of your sin, I'm going to place it on his account. And I'm going to take all of his righteousness, I'm going to place it on your account. And so there's an exchange that happens at the cross when God says, I'm going to satisfy my wrath on you, Jesus Christ, for all the wrongdoing that's ever been done so that if anybody would say, I believe in the son, then he said, I will charge his righteousness to your account, that you no longer have to stand before me and be worried about all the things, the shame, the ugliness, all these things. There's no way he wants me. That's true. But if he covers you with the blood of Christ and he covers you with Christ's righteousness, you have nothing to be scared of on that day. You just say, I claim the blood of Jesus. I don't deserve you. But I claim the blood of Jesus, and he will say to you, whoever accepts my son, I will accept into the kingdom of God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And according to Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what you got to do. I, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. I believe that you raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. That's your first step. That's your first step. And if you are ready to take that journey, get ready because you'll be on a roller coaster for Jesus. He's going to change you in ways you wouldn't have ever imagined. Change you from the inside out. But your eternity will be provided for. We have 80 to 100 years on this earth. If you get 100, you're lucky. Your eternity will be provided for. Why don't you bow your head, close your eyes. You know, we never know when we proclaim the gospel or we preach the word what God's doing I often wonder God would you just tell me show me and so I just ask are you here are you in the room is God wooing your soul is the spirit of God regenerating your heart is that happening to you you place your faith in Christ you put all your eggs in that basket and he says I've taken care of the rest There's no other faith system like it. You have to do nothing. There's nothing for you to do. God will do all of it. He'll save you and then he'll transform you. That's the gospel. And those who are being wooed will be so magnetically charged to that idea, they'll run towards it. Say you, what a journey, if it is. Father, we love you. I thank you so much for your word. I, I love your word. I studied it for I don't know how many years. But I don't want to be a pastor that's so in love with the word that I forget that there's lost people out there. Help me. That's why I put Zach up here to remind me that there people need Jesus. That's why we do these events because that's why we put on these endeavors to refresh in our campus. somebody new comes, because we have something new, okay, well we're going to tell them about Jesus. We just want to remember there are lost people. Somebody had the guts to show up for me and say, hey, you look like a boy who needs more than this world can offer. Do you want Jesus Christ? Help us pass that baton forward. Help us do as a church. Help me do as a pastor. And help us see the effects of what happens afterwards. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
4: Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. If you're here with us and you just prayed for the first time to receive forgiveness through Jesus, um, would you let someone know about it? I think that'd be the best first step for you. And if that's you, I just want you to know you've been reconciled with God. God's made the relationship between you and him right. Uh, you've been forgiven of your sins. You've been accepted into his family. Uh, and we just want to say Welcome. Um, We're glad you're here with us, and we're glad that that's what's happening. But if God's doing that in your life, I think it's important to let someone know. And on your way out of the lobby on the left-hand side, there's a counter, and there's some people there ready to talk with you. Um, They can pray with you. They can answer questions. If you don't have a Bible, they'll give you a Bible. Um, And if you're online, go to campcc.net and click on Next Steps, and then fill out a little form, and one of our pastors will get back to you this week. We really do want to walk this journey towards Christ with you. All right, we're going to continue our worship by giving back to the Lord. Uh, we do this online. There's three ways to participate. This is uh, as much part of worship as singing is. It's just one of the ways we say, God, you're number one in our life and all things, not just on Sunday morning, but even um, when it comes to our finances. So you can give online, uh, you can text to give, or there's an offering box in the lobby. But Before you go, I want you to check out this video. What's coming up next at Camp CC?
5: CAMCC! I'm Sam Stevenson, the new K-3 through director. I love getting to know your kiddos on Sunday mornings. If you have an interest in serving in the K-3 through ministry, you can shoot me an email at sam.camcc.net. That's enough about me. I want to talk about you. If you're a first, second, or third time guest, we have some amazing gifts for you to thank you for being here with us. You can head on over to the welcome counter in the lobby with your connection card. If you're watching online, we want to hear from you too. Go to camcc.net slash next steps and we will hook you up. I am so excited about the Welcome Project, our new initiative that kicks off Sunday, October 30th and continues through November 6th 13th, and 20th. October 21st through 23rd, men's retreat. Wives, nudge your husbands and encourage them to attend this weekend retreat in beautiful Malibu Canyon. Come on guys, how sweet is that? Check out the men's table on the patio for more information or email Jim jimmoyer at camcc.net to sign up. It's coming up fast. October 21st, middle school nerf war, 7 to 9 p.m. Check this out. Different teams, different colors, competing against each other. It sounds intense. It is intense, but it's very exciting. Get ready to Nerf it up. You can sign up at camcc.net slash nerfwar, bring $10 and your own gun. Need more information? Contact Jacob at camcc.net. of what's going on at CAMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on
6: any of these events, go to CAMCC.net. I'm Allie Smith, by the way, the women's ministry gal here for the church, and I'm so glad you are here. Uh, what I got today out of the message was everyone is a possibility, even if it's a relative who curses like a sailor, sailor and uses interesting uh, hand gestures on a regular basis doesn't mean they're a lost cause entirely and you never know what seeds you're planting with every reaction you have to any action of anybody in our lives so just keep going Uh, if you've been here just once or twice or three times remember that we have gifts for you so please go to the welcome counter out there in the lobby and remember for those of you online you can go to the kmcc.net slash next steps Mark your calendars as well. November 16th, uh, 7 p.m. is our worship night. There's also a glow night, a glow praise party for kindergarten through fifth grade. Uh, They're going to have like a dance off and neon lights and games in the dark and a popcorn bar apparently. So I might go check it out as well. Uh, And as she just mentioned, the men's retreat, that's actually this next weekend. There are still, as of this morning, just a few spots available. So if you've been kind of putting it off, gentlemen, get out there, go see Jim Moyer on the patio because there's hopefully at least one spot left for you. So thank you again for coming and I hope to chat with you on the patio.